What is up? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. How are you? Hopefully you have had a productive week. We've got a conversation that I think you'll find interesting. I am joined by Tom Coburn, who is the CEO and co-founder at Jebit. Jebit's doing some really cool things. And what I wanted to talk with him about is leading a company through a decade plus of digital change get his perspective on the Jebit story, what he's had to navigate along the way, how content has played a role, what's changed, some iterations they've made on the business. I always enjoy talking to the founder, the CEO, and getting their perspective on marketing, where content is going, and digging into interactive content. And also, got to mention, zero-party data, which is a continued theme that comes up in these conversations. If you like what I'm doing over here, follow, subscribe, hit all the buttons. Also, we launched Smarter Distribution for Brands yesterday. So check that out. There's stuff everywhere that we're promoting. If you have any questions, you can reach out directly to me on LinkedIn. I got a link in the show notes, or you can hit me up on Twitter at Indy McGrath. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. Welcome back. Excited for this conversation. Um, I think anytime you get a chance to talk with a CEO about marketing, it is a good thing. And that is what we're going to be doing here today. The topic is leading a company through a decade plus of digital changes. I am with Tom Coburn, who is the co-founder and CEO at Jebit. We're going to get into it, but Tom, welcome. I know you've had a busy day as we hit record on this. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. So thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe to get things started, I'd love for you to maybe talk a little bit about Jebit. I think it's, you know, and just doing some research on you and, you know, understanding the Jebit story. Jebit's been around for quite some time and you've been leading that charge and we're going to get into the story of it all. But maybe for people who don't know, share a little bit about what Jebit does. Happy to. We're a software company. It's a a SaaS platform that marketers use to create interactive experiences that get consumers to answer questions and give first-party declared data or zero-party data, as it's now being called, uh, in a way that doesn't feel like a survey. And so the most common application of Jebit is a brand building some type of product match quiz. If you've ever been on a website and seen a quiz that greets you and says, you know, hey, answer five questions and we'll recommend the right product for you. You know, I love snowboarding. So maybe it's a answer five questions, we'll recommend the right snowboard for you. Those are the types of experiences brands create. So they use our software. If you ever used a platform like Canva, you know, you can think of us kind of like that, but specifically designed to make these interactive experiences with complex logic of outcomes based on answers and things like that. But it's all templates. You don't need to touch a line of code. You don't need to be an engineer but you use our platform to build the experience and then you can put the experience anywhere you want on your website, social channels, et cetera. And um, it engages consumers. It drives more sales in the moment, but more importantly, it lets the marketer capture this really valuable data of in the snowboard case, how many times a year I snowboard and who I snowboard with and why I snowboard and where I snowboard and like all these really valuable data points that are, are hard to collect if you don't have a conversation with someone and actually ask them the questions. Uh, and chatting before, I, I learned that uh, the Jebit story had some twists and turns along the way. And I'd love to maybe uh, to give everyone some context and to set the stage, giving give everyone a little snapshot of like the Jebit story and the history, like how it started and um, how it's evolved. Yeah. If you had done this interview with me any other year over the last decade, you may have gotten very different answers <laughs> to the question, what is Jebit? So um 
I will give you the 30,000 foot view. You tell me if you want to go deeper in any area, but sounds um, good. I started this in college. So this has been my only job. Um, I thought I was going to go be a doctor and my business school friends convinced me to start a company instead. And we ended up dropping out of school to do it full time. So this has been a crazy ride with, uh, with many ups and downs and changes to what I thought I was going to be doing. But the first product we launched um, was a website that paid college students money to answer questions for brands. Um, and so we were building an audience. We had both, we brought both the you know audience, the users there, and we would bring the brands there. That ran from 2013 to 2015. And then from, I would say 2015 to 2018, we were really an interactive content platform. You could use us to create all different types of content, but it was less about data capture. And it was more about just creating fun and engaging content. But that was really the start of having a version that looks more like we look today, where we don't bring the audience. We just license a platform for brands to create the content. And then it was around 2018 where we saw all the privacy legislation coming. We you know, knew that there was going to be this big shift away from leveraging third-party data and using first-party data as brands and you know, within first party data, there's a lot of different types. You know, you can track everything people buy, that transactional data. You can look at what they click on, that behavioral data. But we were just seeing the legislation coming and we were realizing, wow, we actually have a really good way to get consumers to give first party data. And so since 2018, we've really been talking a lot more about the data narrative and, and built a lot of technology around how do you actually capture this first party declare data or the zero party data at scale. So I would say those are the three big chapters of Jebit, but there's a lot of like smaller micro chapters within there. So we're talking like a decade plus of survival, I think, with a lot of different twists and turns along the way. I, I'd love, I, we we get a lot of uh, founders who listen to this show, and I'd love for you to maybe share some of, obviously it'll be unique to you and the Jebit story, but like, what are some of the ways you all have survived all the different iterations and not folded like so many startups do? There are so many different ways we could take that question. <laughs> um, there's like the tactical things and some of the decisions we made where my mind goes first is actually more just like the mindset me and my co-founders tried to have. I mean, there's no doubt, like we left college and like any, you know, young competitive person that just dives in and starts a company, like you think it's going to be easy and you think you're just going to crush it. And we, you know, raised some money out of the gate and we had a product live and we thought it was going to be easy. And, you know, then you get humbled and you realize building businesses are really hard. So like, a lot of it was us just having the mindset of, I mean, it sounds cliche, but like being grateful for the opportunity and being grateful that like we had these investors backing us and we loved working with each other. And, you know, I, I remember we tried to pivot to a new idea um, off the college website thing while running the website. And then we realized after a few months, this is too hard. We need all our focus on the new idea. So we shut down the website. And at this point, we had raised about $2 million in funding and we had burned through half of it. I remember the day our bank account dropped below a million because it was kind of like a, uh-oh, like we're we're on the now downside of all this money we had raised and we no longer have a product bringing in any revenue. We sat the team down one day and we were like, look, there's two ways to look at this. One is that we've burned through half the investor money and we just shut down the only idea that was driving revenue and we don't know what we're going to do next. Or the other way to look at it is... Someone just gave us a million dollars. We love working with each other and we can go build anything we want. And so like when I talk about mindset, it's like if you can get yourself in that mindset, all of a sudden you get really excited to come to work the next day and be like, what do we want to build? Let's go talk to marketers. Let's figure it out. I mean, we never got to the point of thinking let's like entirely leave the marketing world. We always stayed 
somewhat in the lane of we're going to build technology for marketers. You hear some startup stories that are just like crazy pivots to a whole nother industry or type of things like Slack going from a video game to, you know, messaging app. But um, we never did that, but we did, we were willing to like totally throw the idea away and build something totally new. And I think that that mindset is an important piece of it. I'm happy to get into more tactics if you want, but that's where my brain goes first. I'm sure we'll get there just as we dive in a little further, but I would imagine on that day, like that was a shift for you and your team. And I feel like in this time frame, there's been so many shifts in digital and digital experiences. Maybe talk about some of those biggest shifts that you and your team have had to navigate along the way. So the biggest reason we shut down the website wasn't because it wasn't working. We, we had 100,000 students using it and we had 100 plus brands spending money on it and they were coming back and spending more money on it. We just kind of realized, and look, this is our personal decision as entrepreneurs. We felt like we weren't creating genuine connections between brands and consumers. Said another way, we thought most of the kids were just there to get their beer money for the weekend and didn't care about the brands. In fact, not we think, we know. When we talked to them, we surveyed them. They were our users. Like That's why they were there. And so we wanted to pivot to something that wasn't incentivized. And that's been a big theme of Jabit over the years is like most Jabit experiences don't have a gift card or a sweepstakes or anything with it. It's like you're getting a consumer to engage for genuine reasons. And I definitely think as we've watched the world evolve over the last year, all the standard things like consumer attention spans have gotten shorter. Content has gotten way more appealing and interactive. Like look at TikTok compared to like Twitter or something, you know, like it's just full screen video, amazing interactive content. Like, so we've seen that happen. And so I think for brands, that's forced them to like really have to compete on making amazing stuff that's going to capture people's attention. And so if I go back to my snowboarding example quiz, like, if you care about snowboarding, like that quiz is going to be really helpful to you. It's going to save you time. It's going to give you a recommendation. Like these are genuine reasons that people will stop what they're doing and engage because no matter how much I care about a brand as a consumer, I don't wake up in the morning and think, let me go give my data to that brand, right? Like it's just not how we think. I think I have a job, I'm stressed, I have family, I've got, you know, friends I want to see, I got hobbies I want to do, this and that. And so when you can meet the consumer in the right moment and when you can position a genuine value exchange to them, um, I think we've only seen that get stronger and more important over the last decade. I think that's like the big trend we've been following. There's other trends we could dive into. Like we've seen a massive shift to mobile, obviously, and how you think about creating content is very different in a mobile first world than a desktop first world. But um, I think that genuine value exchange is like the big first one that comes to mind. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about content. I think anytime we get a CEO on here, getting the perspective of how you view content, obviously it's a big part of Jebit and it's a big part of you know the business and I'm sure has a lot to do with growth. Maybe talk a little bit about just like the role of content on the journey. What is obviously the technology and the platforms, all that stuff has changed, but like for Jebit, like what's changed and kind of what's remained the same on the content side? What's changed is it's just gotten like cooler and better, just like flashier things, things with more sizzle and pop, integrating video and AR and VR that we're exploring now and different things like that. Like, you know, our, our way of thinking is like wherever the consumers go, wherever consumer attention goes, we're going to be helping brands build interactive experiences for that. So if 
if the metaverse actually takes off, if people actually spend a lot of time in VR, AR connected devices, voice activated, like we're going to have experiences there. And that was obviously very different than years ago where we were just building experiences for, you know, web 2.0, email website, social channels, things like that. I think what stayed the same is this just constant focus of putting ourselves in the shoes of consumers, which we are all consumers at the end of the day. Every person at Jebit isn't a consumer and making sure that whatever we put in front of someone, there's that genuine reason that they should stop what they're doing and engage with that brand and do that experience. And so, I mean, now we have the luxury of having tens of thousands of experiences that have run and being able to look at all the data and being able to see, oh, what actually gets people to stop and engage but a lot of it in the early days was just trying to put ourselves in the shoes of the consumers and think, would I actually do this? Like if I'm if I'm scrolling Instagram and I'm interested in snowboarding and this thing pops up of take this quiz, get matched, like would I actually engage with that? Why, why yes, why no? And um, I think that focus has been really important. How do you straddle that line between like web 2.0 and like what people are used to, what, you know, mo- how most of, you know, Jebit customers have probably operated you know currently or in the past to looking forward and seeing all the new trends and everything we see on our linkedin feeds regularly and seeing like if this is just going to be kind of like a flash in the pan or if this is something as a business we need to put resources behind are you saying how like managing jebit how do we think about it like how do we think about resource deployment and things yeah yeah we just have our pockets where innovation comes from and i mean it's that standard like 80% 80% focus on today, 20% focus on tomorrow. I mean, I'm sure that's ebbed up and down a little bit over the years, but like my CTO, who's one of my co-founders, Matt, is all is the one really leading a lot of this charge of thinking about where are things going. And he's always like building prototypes on weekends and doing CTO type stuff that, <laughs> that, that they do. I can't code, so I wish I could. I wish I had his brain, but I don't have it. But then we built out a, an internal studio team and it's a team of like, front-end engineers, designers, uh, UX folks, et cetera. And part of what they do is like help our customers push the platform to the next level and think about like, what does the customer want? Like NFL wants to do something really cool for the draft. Like what's their ideas? Can we make it happen? But they have access to all like the CSS and the code so they can they can do things with our technology that the self-serve users can't. And so a lot of the innovation just comes from customers and they're this kind of like in-house innovation shop where they'll spin things up. And then if they spin something up, that's really popular that wants of lots of customers want to use our product team will productize it. So we've, we've done a lot of things like that over the years to just kind of always be on the leading edge of what's the content because, and it's kind of fun for me that you're asking me questions about the content. Cause most of the time I talk publicly, it's more about the data, right? Cause like people know us as a data company, they know us as capturing data, all of those things, but like technically a boring survey captures data. Like if mm-hmm. I just send out a survey and I'm like, do a star, do this survey, I'll give you a $5 Starbucks gift card. Like I'm getting data. Now that data is probably not accurate. Cause a lot of people are going to say, great. Hey, 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 give me my gift card, you know, things like that. But so my point with that, with sharing that is like the unique differentiator of Jebit is that we're creating content people actually want to engage with, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why some of our brands are using us at such a big scale because they know they want to get this data at scale. But I tell the team all the time, like this, like we think we have, you know, best in class leading content in the world, but like the second we would ever fall behind on that, you know, we would lose our whole right to be 
the main capture of the zero party data for all these brands. And so that's why the content is so important to us. So that example with the send out a boring ass form filled survey that someone fills out probably with the wrong answers is it's how we're used to capturing data as marketers and we know yeah. it's stale. Um, and I would say anybody in a marketing role, like one of their tasks is to enhance and create a better digital experience for the consumers that interact with their brand. I don't think, I certainly don't know as much or maybe haven't been educated on it as much of like the implementation of like interactive content and how that can help maybe not only create a better experience for the people we're trying to reach, but enhance it and get them to want to engage with our brand at a higher level. Maybe like talk a little bit about like interactive content just in general and how you all think about it, because I think it's something that maybe seems so original to you all since you're in it, but like to a lot of marketers listening, I think it's probably something newer and um, something that we could all get educated a little bit on. Yeah. So maybe it would be helpful to start with where you started, which was like, hey, my status quo might be running a survey, right? Like, yeah. let's say, I'll use a real example. Like, let's say you're a diaper brand, right? You're you're trying to target first time parents because most people make their diaper brand decision on the first kid and then they stick with it after that. So you're going out on Facebook, you're trying to find first time parents and you might know, hey, here's five data points I care about. I want to know you know, which parent you are, are you mom or dad? I want to know when your babies do. I want to know if you know the gender. I want to know uh, if you're having a baby shower, because that might be when we, we like get a bunch of gifts. And I want to know like how much you care about price versus environmental impact versus one or two other things, because that will change my message. I don't know. I'm making those up, but you get the idea. So like, yeah, you could go buy a bunch of Facebook ads and run surveys and try to get emails and data from people. And this is a real case study. Like this brand did this. And what do you know? No one clicked on their ads because no one's scrolling Instagram and thinking, let me do a diaper survey, even though they're offering like a $3 coupon or whatever it is. And so what that brand did with Jebit is we actually brainstormed with them all different types of interactive content that in one way or another could still get a couple of those data points answered. And so a couple different examples. They did a um, first-time parent trivia. How much do you know about babies? In that case, the genuine value exchange was educating you, right? You're having a baby. It's a big event. You want to be smart about this. You're probably reading books. And so the way that one ran was there was this really beautiful trivia experience. And once you went through the five trivia questions, they just turned the conversation around and also asked you, by the way, are you the mom or dad? When's the baby due? But, and what do you know? 90% of people that did the trivia just kept going and just answered the questions. Again, there was no gift card. There was none of that. It was just, we got your attention. We have you hooked. And nine out of 10 people will just keep going. They also did a, like, what type of parent are you going to be personality quiz, where it was, you answer some questions and then they tell you what type of parent you're going to be, kind of like a BuzzFeed style quiz. For that one, the value exchange was more like entertainment and like learning something about yourself instead of learning something about babies. And then they also did a really traditional, like which diaper is right for you product finder quiz. They actually did more than those, but I'll keep it to those three. So they made those three pieces of content and then they bought ads pushing that content out. They saw 10 times more people clicking. Like, and again, it's just because now you're scrolling Instagram and now you see something that's like test your baby knowledge or what diapers right for you. And it's just like, it just catches people 
because it's more engaging. It's more like, let alone the fact that our experiences looked really beautiful and they had images and videos and GIFs and all that stuff. And they just looked nice and on brand compared to like a traditional survey with just a white background and radio buttons. There was this value exchange I'm talking about of either like saving you time and giving you a recommendation in the diaper one or entertaining you in the personality quiz one or teaching you something about babies in the trivia one. But at the end of the day, no matter which one you clicked into, because I think you and I could both get that, like, if you target a thousand parents, like certain parents are going to get drawn to the trivia. Other parents are going to get drawn to the diaper finder. Others are going to drawn to the personality quiz. One way or another, though, we still got the data points and we got your email address at the end. And so now they're equipped with, we just engaged this person for two or three minutes, had this conversation, got their email. And now we know if we want to send them emails, they're the dad, they're having a daughter that's due in August. And this dad cares more about the environmental impact of the products than anything else. So let's send him emails that talk about that. Let's send him an email about welcoming your baby girl this summer. And how do you want to leave the planet with her? And like, now you can communicate with this dad so much better than you could have communicated with him if you tried to hit him up with a survey he most likely ignored. I love it. Uh, personalization, relevance, that's all the things that I gather um, you're able to get from a test like that. And that helps brands out. I'd love to maybe get into your bread and butter a little more deeper uh, based on just like talking about zero party data. We've talked about it here and there on the show, but I'd love, since it's kind of the world you're living in, I'd love for you to share your perspective on why you believe that it matters so much and then kind of why it matters to creating these digital experiences that the consumers were trying to all reach um, expect at this point. Cool. So zero party data is a term that Forrester coined. In my mind, zero party data is really just a type of first party data. So if someone's confused, like that's how I think about it. It really just means data that a consumer willingly and explicitly with consent gave to you, aka they they answered a question, they filled out a form, they told you this information about them. So where it's different is, you know, a lot of the first party data, like we were talking about earlier, is just tracking people's activities. You just look at what they click on on your website, you look at what they bought. And that can be really helpful and valuable. Our message to brands is not only capture zero party data, it's capture both first and zero party data together. But there's limitations in those other types of inferred sources of zero party data. You know, I could see everything you clicked on. I could see you just bought a golf club, you know, whatever it is. But why'd you buy it? Did you buy it for you? Did you buy it for me as a present? Like, what are your goals with golf? You know, there's so many, there's so many other, so many things you have to assume that you don't know. And there's so many other whys behind your actions that would be really helpful to know. And so that's the unique part of zero party data is you can willingly get the data from the consumer. You can ask them whatever you want. You can get explicitly the information you want. The challenge with zero party data is how do you get it at scale, right? It's much easier to just tag your website and then passively track everything people click on and not have to lift a finger and get data. It's harder to come to work every Monday, every week and think, what content am I going to create this week that's going to engage people and get them to stop their busy lives and interact with me and give me data? But I think if you talk to any of our brands, they would admit to you that the Jebit data they're getting is the most valuable type of data they're getting in the stack. Like, I think you can view it as a pyramid and like, we're at the top, but we're also the smallest in terms of volume, right? And so what most of our brands do is they run a bunch of content, they get the zero party data, and then they combine the zero party data with their other data sources. So, you know, Jebit is the platform to create the content, go engage people and collect the data. 
but then we send the data into the customer's like data warehouse or CDP or whatever system they're using. And that's where they'll combine it with all their other data sources. And now you have a more, a more full picture of like, we saw Brad clicked on these blog posts and read these articles. We saw he then bought these three products and then he did these two different quizzes. And now we can stitch together a more fuller picture of who you are. I'd love to just on that, the quality data set it, it, this there's this conversation that's never ending in marketing that is you know quality versus quantity and i think all of us marketers we would side on quality but it seems like the way most of us get pushed is quantity metrics how we're measured that sort of thing when you all are talking to your you know partners right out of the gates and you're having a conversation about the impact you know jebit can have on their business like what is that conversation like where you're you're sharing uh, that, you know, this might not be more data than you're getting from somewhere else, but it's going to be a higher quality. And how does that resonate? Talk a little bit about that. I think that scale matters in terms of number of people you have the data on. I think scale does not matter nearly as much in terms of how many data points you collect on each person. I think most marketers overthink it. I remember one of my most shocking moments was sitting down with a uh, men's razor brand who told me, we just hired this agency. We just did this three-month study, and we now know the 175 things that we would like to know about every man so we can better market to him. And I was like, you probably have 170 too many on your list. Like maybe there's 15 things, but like, if we're just being practical, you don't need to know 175 things about a person to market to them well, or said another way, you could put all this energy into getting all 175, but like the actual impact is probably the biggest impact. You're probably going to get 90% of the benefits of the personalization on the first five data points, as you would get on data points six through 175, because like at the end of the day, like you're selling a razor, there's only so much, you know. And so I think over the last 20 years of the internet, Plus, like, I think we've, as marketers, we've made things overly complex and there was like a whole series of like big data being so important and just like, get your hands on as much as you can make second party data partnerships, make third party data, acquire third party data, like feed it all together, like run these big algorithms. And I think what we're seeing brands, the brands on Jebit, what they're adapting more to is like, let's be really thoughtful about here's three things that if we knew about every customer could just transform the way we talk to them. And those are like our three, like tier one, like platinum, whatever you want to call it, data points. Let's go get those. Maybe there's a list of 10 or 20 more that will help us round out the profile, but we don't need 175 data points. And then what we're doing is we're helping them put together a series of content where like day one, let's get those first three. Two weeks later, let's send them a welcome series email. Let's get data points four through eight. Later on, as we engage with them in different touch points, we'll get data points eight through 20. Maybe some of them need to be updated every year, every 18 months, six months, whatever. So let's make sure we have other content going out to update them. But we don't have to, we don't have to make the strategy overly complex on what data points we're capturing. Now, like I said at the start, I do think, okay, we have our three. If we have 15 million people in our database and another hundred million people we can go engage. Like we want to go get those three data points on all of them. So when it comes to scale of actually acquiring those three, that's where scale matters. And that's where we really want to push a scaled strategy. I'd love to maybe close it out with this, just as a, the leader of a data company, interactive content, 
to focus. Where where is your head at this year? Like, what is kind of your primary area of focus for you, the Jebit team, your customers? It's a lot on continuing to innovate on the content. We're seeing video quiz start video quizzes start to become much more popular where it's like you're talking to a person, like you're talking to a beauty influencer and it's, you know, what skincare product is right for you. And you're just like literally having a face-to-face conversation with them and answering the questions. So there's a lot of other innovations we're coming out with on the actual content itself. And then um, I do spend a lot of my time helping brands think through a lot of what you and I were just talking about, the data strategy, which data points are we going to use once we get them? What are we going to do with them? And do we even have the creative resources to then go create you know, five different segmented email flows to go out to the different people based on these three data points or whatever it might be. So we're helping brands solve a lot of those challenges. And um, we're seeing a lot of brands really see their media dollars not going as far after Apple's IDFA changes. And as Hmm. they think about Google getting rid of third-party cookies, that's been another big theme as well. How how can we use this zero-party data to create better audiences, to have better media targeting? And like I was saying earlier, our role in that is just really helping them get the data and then helping make the data actionable for them so they can bring it to their platforms where they're buying media. But um, those are a lot of the big buckets. But yeah, hiring people, training people. There's, there's a lot of different things to do. <laughs> Always good to have a CEO on here to talk about data, content, and all of the above. Tom, thank you so much. This was a fun conversation. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Really enjoyed that conversation with Tom. Love to hear the Jebit story. Persistence, consistency, adaptability, all of the above. Hopefully you learned a thing or two about content, interactive content, zero-party data. We're always bringing guests on who can provide value and hopefully you got some today. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We'll be back. More Modern Day Marketer on the other side.